And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. We have uh, two sermon texts tonight. The first one comes from Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set foot before them, food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Our second text comes from Philippians 4. Verses 11 through 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, 
We pray in this moment that you would do the thing that only you can do, Lord. We pray by the power of your spirit that you would take these words that are in your word. Lord, would you shine light on them? Would you shine light in the places in our hearts where light needs to be shown? And Lord, I ask in particular this evening that you would use these truths and these words to stir in us fresh joy. Lord, for the sake of your name, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Um, so a dark, dingy, damp, dank Roman prison at midnight is about the worst place you could ever be. And if your body is swollen and in pain and throbbing and aching after a first century Roman beating, it's even a worse place to be. And it's especially a strange place for singing hymns and praises and prayer. But this story, this story, the book of Acts, the New Testament, the whole of the scriptures, and our Christian tradition, that faith that has been delivered to us once and for all to us as saints, would try to convince us that not only is it the right place for singing hymns and praying, but when you're in the damp, dark, painful, throbbing, aching place, what else is there that you can do? See, in this story, we've, we've got three options. I've been, as I've thought about this in the previous weeks, I've just been struck by Paul and Silas singing hymns and praying in this prison cell. So we have three options here. Okay, we got three options. Maybe we have 15 options. I'm going to give you three. Number one, Paul and Silas are delusional somehow. Maybe one of the, the, the rods that beat them struck them in the head and, and they're delusional. That's one option. Um, a second option is that Paul and Silas are somehow superheroes of some kind. Like, like they're just able to rise above it with strength. Or option number three, Christian joy is not what we think it is. No, I, I think it's option three. See, and we'll say more about this. I tend to think joy is feeling happy feelings. But I think joy is something different. I think this story teaches us that Christian joy is something more different still. So in our time together, there's a main thing that I want you to hear, okay? If you don't hear anything else I say this beautiful Sunday afternoon, I really, really want you to hear this. I don't want you to miss it. 
It's really simple. In Christ, there is joy to be found in every circumstance. In Christ, there is joy to be found in every circumstance. In Christ, there is joy to be found in every single circumstance. But we are going to have to redefine what joy means. So to to make that main point to you, um, I want to travel through this passage really in two parts. First of all, I want to sort of summarize the story here. What has happened? How did it go down? How did it transpire to where Paul and Silas are in a prison cell? There's some interesting things to observe and to learn. And then secondly, I want us to talk about Paul and Silas and their singing and praying. So the story, what happens, and then the singing and the praying. So let's begin with a summary of the story itself. Look with me at verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, this is interesting because the narrator Luke now apparently is along for this part of the journey. As we were going to the place of prayer. See, normally when Paul and his associates would go in to preach the gospel, see, Paul's missionary strategy was to to meet where there was some kind of bridge. So often he would find the Jewish community that was scattered around the Roman world. He'd, He'd come into a Roman city, find where the Jewish people lived, the Jewish quarter. Usually he would preach the good news of Jesus in the Jewish quarter, specifically in their synagogues. But in this case, there's not enough Jews in this area to be in a synagogue or, for, or for have, to have had formed a synagogue. So there's apparently some Jewish people who will gather at least to pray. But I think what Luke wants to signal us is this is vulnerable territory for Paul and Silas. There's not many bridges here in this unreached place. So as we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl, verse 16, who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So as they are going to their place of prayer to preach the gospel, they run into a slave girl. There's two things that are clear about this slave girl. Number one, she is demon-possessed in some way. The language is pretty strong. She has something like a snake spirit. It's kind of a phrase for demonic possession. And then two, the second thing we learn about her is she's being exploited by her handlers, by her owners. Because in the ancient world, just like the contemporary world, people who can make you feel and think or hope or believe things true or untrue about the future such a market for those kinds of people. And they are exploiting this spirit, her suffering, for gain. But she's doing something really interesting. She's following them around, verse 17. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. But Paul, having become greatly annoyed, said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And at that very hour, it came out. See, what's interesting is when she's falling around Paul and Silas, and this part of the story has always been confusing to me because it sounds like she's saying something right. Right? 
These men, by the way, are servants of the Most High God. They are showing you the way to salvation. And just like here, just like back in Genesis 3, Satan's kind of oldest strategy is to say something that seems right, but it's just not quite right. See, these words that she is proclaiming and saying may be confusing, see, because the people would not have understood who the Most High God was. Perhaps the Most High God is simply just one God among many. The way of salvation would not be the way of salvation really presented in the scriptures, but rather something probably like prosperity. And perhaps the demon is trying to kind of ride on the back of a half-truth in order to cause further distraction and damage from the true truth. And Paul senses this, and he frees her. And he frees her in the name of Jesus. It's an important phrase, not only in the book of Acts, but in all the New Testament. In the name of Jesus, he frees her. Now, this is something of a side note here before we get into Paul and Silas and their singing. Just a couple of side notes about this slave girl. I think, I think this story at least helps us see that there are lots of spirits in our world. Just like in the ancient world, there were lots of spirits and lots of spirits in our world, and not all of them are holy. Second thing, sex serves as something of a warning that when something sounds not quite right, it's in those places that we should beware. But then perhaps thirdly, this text encourages us that Christ is Lord. And at the very mention of his name, demons must flee. See, knowing that Christ is Lord and he's Lord over the, the dark places in our world. Y'all, Grace Fellowship is, is just over six years old. And, and someone said to me recently, is there anything that you kind of learned in pastoring a church that you didn't necessarily expect? And, and I don't really have a great answer to that, really, ever. But something I've started to say is it, it's made me take things of the demonic much more seriously. See, the encouraging news of this story is that Christ is Lord. So that allows you to take it seriously and not be afraid simultaneously. In verses 19 to 24, um, this, this, this woman, this girl, because she's now been freed from demonic possession, in verse 19, her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, so they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. See, it's, it's all fun and games until the people start losing their money. And then, and then in verse 21, it's somewhat of a, a trump card. Verse 21, they are advocating customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept and practice. See, the Roman world, the, the Romans, they valued public order so much. So to say any kind of custom is sort of undermining Roman order is sort of like the trump card. We cannot deal with that. Romans say we will not deal with that. 
and they inflict upon Paul and Silas a severe punishment. Verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. The Romans will go down in history as being a particularly cruel people. And one of the things they were most famous for was thinking up creatively ways to come down severely, severely on Roman order. And this beating with rods is, is a, it's, it's not Luke just describing, oh yeah, and by the way, they beat them with rods. He's saying they did the beating them with rods punishment. It was a particular punishment. It has a particular word for it. An offender would be stripped naked, typically hung upside down, and beaten so severely that it was intended to handicap them forever. The idea is that they would from now on have to walk around and people would see them and be like, oh, that's what happens to you when you undermine Roman order. It would break bones. It was, it was severe. And of course, Paul and Silas experienced this. And of course, they are despairing and they wish they had never come. Except that's not what happens. Verse 24, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're not despairing their situation, wishing they had never come. Does it mean they're not feeling the pain? Does not mean their hearts are not broken as well as their bodies. But they are singing hymns or praises and praying to God, which I find so interesting. Singing praises and hymns to God sounds something like joy. This is the same Paul who will later write a letter to the church at Philippi. April read from it a few minutes ago. And in part of the letter, not the part she read, Paul will say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I tell you, rejoice. He will write that he's learned to be content in all circumstances, which sounds kind of great until you realize this is the circumstance, which makes contentment feel more hard won. I don't know how to keep saying this, so I'll just kind of belabor the point here. I want to tell you what would need to have happened for me to feel joy. If I could rewrite this story so I could feel joy, it would go something like this. Paul and Silas, they come to the place of prayer. They encounter a slave girl. They free her from demonic possession. Her owners see that they set her free, and they're so thankful and they bring Paul and Silas before the town and celebrate the fact that these agents of God's grace and mercy have come to do ministry in this town. It'd be nice if they threw them some sort of meal. Roasted lamb. It could be anything else for me, but roasted lamb would be nice. 
They sit down and they ask to hear more about this Jesus person. And it all goes great for them. And then, joy. See, my understanding of joy is often housed in the phrase, things going good for me. The Lord Jesus Christ invites us into so much more than that. They're praying and they're singing. The way I have thought about it this week, they are pray singing and they are sing praying. I wonder if you've been in a dark, damp place and you know what I mean. Where the line between singing and praying and praying and singing is pretty blurry. But it's about all that you have that you can do. And in this praying and singing, they know, hence they're praying and singing, they know the very presence of Jesus. He is there. And see, his presence cannot be shut out by Roman jail cell bars. His presence cannot be beaten out by a Roman beating. And we don't know what they're singing. But the fact that they're praying and singing, the fact that they are faithful Jewish men, means they're very likely praying and singing from the praying and singing, singing and praying book called the Psalms. There's 150 of them. It's a lot of choices. Maybe they're singing, maybe, we don't know. Maybe they're singing, maybe they're singing from Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise before the Lord all the earth. Enter his gates with singing. Enter his courts with praise. Maybe they've chosen a song that is, it is upbeat. Maybe. But there's other songs they could have sung too. For example, could they have sung from Psalm 139? Where can I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee? Shall I go up to heaven? You're there. What if I make my bed in the depth of Sheol, Roman prison? You're there. Even there, your right hand holds me. He goes on to say, the darkness is not dark to you. In other words, you don't really wait till you feel it to sing it. It's as you sing it you start to see that it opens up to you. I don't know what they were singing. I don't know. What if they were singing from Psalm 27? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I fear? When evildoers assail me, even though an army encamps around me, I won't fear. 
In other words, we don't wait until we start feeling unafraid before we sing. But it's as we pray and sing and sing and pray, it's in that that he gives you his strength in a way that can cast out fear. I don't know what they were singing. Maybe from Psalm 13. Now for this one, I thought about making up a song for you right now. But I'm going to spare you that. And I haven't really thought about it, about how to make it work. But what if they were singing, how long, O Lord, will you forget us forever? But I will trust in your steadfast love. In other words, you don't wait till you start feeling trusty feelings. But it's as you pray and sing it and sing and pray, you'll feel, you'll sense. Trust in God who's very much there will be opened up to you. I don't know what they were singing. I have no idea. Could have been Psalm 42, Psalm 43. Why are you cast down, O my soul, hoping God, and you don't wait until you feel hopeful feelings? But as you pray and sing it and sing and pray it, even in the dark and damp and dingy, swollen, throbbing, achy, painful places, something like hope begins to emerge inside of your heart and soul. I don't know what they were singing. Could it have been Psalm 44? Rise up, O Lord, come to our help. So you don't wait until you know how it's going to happen, but it's often those prayer songs and song prayers that become the very means of our rescue. I mean, an earthquake is going to bust them out in a matter of moments, but they have no idea. In other words, a text like this allows us to redefine joy. And Christian joy goes something like this. It's this deeper and richer and more full kind of gladness and settledness that is produced by God's spirit in you. The takeaway from this is not I go find ways to sort of be more joyful tomorrow. How can I be more joyful tomorrow? The way you be more joyful tomorrow is to let the Lord be the Lord. And his spirit will be producing in you this fruit called joy. But joy is this deeper and richer and more full gladness and and settledness that is produced by God's spirit. It's not produced by you. You don't have the ability to produce joy inside of you. You don't. There's a deeper, richer, more full gladness and settledness produced by God's Spirit. Because you have Christ. And maybe more importantly, Christ has you. And I do not say what I'm about to say with any sort of cavalier attitude because there are people in this room who've walked in darker places than I have. But I just know that in the dank and dark and damp, swollen, throbbing places, you have Christ. I know you do. 
and you can rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, obviously easier to talk about from a pulpit. Obviously. Pray that your spirit would make application even now. Lord, pray that you would be our help.